So we've been on this journey together over the course of this weekend where we looked at God's big story. And we saw that God is good, that he's on a mission, that he's doing something incredible in this world, that he is seeking to fill it with the image and glory and character of himself, and that he covenants himself to people in order to accomplish that. And he tells his people, he gives us three big charges. The great mandate, which is to cultivate, fill, and exercise dominion over creation. To create beautiful things, good things, true things. He gives us the great commandment to love one another. So in all that we do, we are imaging him to love God and to know him. Um... And he gives us the great commission to spread that good news and that connectiveness to God in order for all nations, all people groups, every tribe, every language can have the opportunity to know him and to follow him. And then we saw last night that there are roadblocks to this because evil is real in this world. The fall brought evil into the world. And we saw how Jesus is the answer to every form of evil. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the atonement for our sins. He's the one who forgives us. He's the one who sets us free. He's the one who has all authority. He is the one who adopts us into his family so that we can receive the blessings of being a part of his family. So we went on a big journey, and the question this morning is sort of, where do we go from here? Where does the rubber meet the road? We've been up in this conceptual world, and then we've been down in the depths of our heart, but where do we go from here, and how do we walk this out? So last night we saw Jesus is the way through the problems in our own hearts, and also the problems in the world around us, But then how do we, how are we effective in this great mandate? So here are tips on practical missional living. So a few times during this talk, I'm going to give you a chance to reflect and to think and to write a few things down. I want this to feel more interactive. I'm not just going to be dumping information on you here. I'm going to be giving you some information and then asking you to think about it. So, um... Practical tips on missional living. We are God's covenant people, right? We are a member of his family. We are members of Christ's body. And we are temples of the Holy Spirit. We're a place where God resides. And so these three things are really important to remember when we start to look at what it means to live missionally because we're not on mission alone. It's so important. We are not on mission alone. We are a part of a missional, covenantal people that God has joined himself with. And he has intended for us to do mission together, communally, with one another. It's critical that we are members of Christ's body. And we'll look at a body passage later, but it's the analogy that Jesus uses over and over again for his church that we're members of one another, we are part of his body. And in the world, guys, what my body does is it physically manifests my will. If I think I want to change the slide, all these nerve endings fire and my muscles go out and I press the button, right? 
And so it's the physical manifestation of my will. And as the body of Christ, as members of his body, we are the primary physical manifestation of what he wants to do on earth. We just saw today three people get baptized. Why every single one of them has been loved, have been cared for, have belonged to community, have had hope, have had healing, have had assistance, have had questions answered, have had love lavished on them by the body of Christ. In none of those stories was it just one man of God popped up and said, boom, there it is. All of them have had this history, a family history, and, and, and relational history with lots of different people cooperating together with God and with the Holy Spirit for this redemptive purpose to unfold. Uh, a couple years ago, I was doing a wedding for one of our alumni, and uh, I was a, a former alumni came up to me and asked me, uh, for prayer because he and his wife were considering uh, starting foster care and caring for kids in the foster care system. And uh, I, was, I didn't think much of it. I said, yeah, sure, of course I'll pray for you. You know, I'll pray for courage and peace. And, and as I started to pray for them, it was one of the most profound moments in prayer that I've ever had. <clears throat> because as I started praying for them, I felt God's heart I felt him say, there are kids out there now who I want to have a safe place to sleep. And I want to have them have healthy meals. And I want them to have fun. But I need a body to do it. Jesus loves these kids in the foster care system in Indianapolis. And he desired his body to step up and provide the physical manifestation of the love that he had for them. And guys, there are people that are in your life and in your circumstances and you will encounter in your life that God has an incredible heart of love for who he wants to hug and he wants to help and he wants to protect and he wants to care for. And the way he wants to do it is through his body. And that's us. And guys, we also, we don't do this alone. We do this together communally and we do this with God. Jesus, who is Jesus, who is God incarnate, said, I do nothing apart from what I see the Father doing. And Jesus said to his disciples, it is good news that I leave you because I'm going to send my advocate, the Holy Spirit, to come and live inside of you who will teach you, remind you, and empower you for the mission that I have set out for you. And that, guys, we get to partner with God's body, with the body of Christ, and we get to partner with God himself in this. As we step out into missional living, it is critical to know we are not alone. We have God's body, other members, other participants, his covenantal family to belong to. And we have God himself who wants to partner with us, empower us, and direct us to be able to be effective in that mission. So tip one for missional living, you are not alone. As many of you were baptized into Christ, you have clothed yourself with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ. 
And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. He brings us into his covenantal purposes on earth, unifies us as one in Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Which is such a cool picture that we are saved individually. We come to Jesus individually. Each of us must profess our faith and trust in Jesus. Be baptized into His family. Join into His covenant individually. But then we belong corporately to His body. There's a saying that says God has no grandchildren. And I think it's really interesting that each of us must develop our own relationship with Jesus. We must belong individually. We're not just saved because we come from a great family. That can really help. But that is not sufficient. We have to individually come to membership in His body through our repentance and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But then we get to belong to an even greater, even more epic family that spans the whole globe, that spans people from every, pe most people groups, there are unreached people groups, but spans so much diversity across the globe. We get to belong to God's global family and His global purposes. He talks about this in Ephesians 4. And I'm not going to go into it for the sake of time. But basically, he talks about the differences and the variety of parts of the body and the variety of gifts that are given to the body. And it gives us this beautiful picture of the diversity of the body. That we're not called into conformity or uniformity but we're called into unity where we each represent some of God's image in a slightly different way, but we're called together so that the broader picture of what God is like and the resources that He has and the gifts that He has and the parts of His character that He is can be manifest and shown through all of us. Unity is not uniformity, but it is rich diversity in unity to Christ. So we're meant to do this together. We're meant to do this with God Himself and with His people. So how? Okay, that's, that's big point one. Tip one is we're together. We belong to a family. And we're to partner with His family and with God. But like, where does the rubber meet the road, right? What are some other real tips on missional living? So, uh, how does the togetherness look in the Bible? Uh, a couple different ways. We see Jesus' ministry that He called disciples to Himself. And He had a core group that He was doing this with. And inside of that core group, He had an even more core group with Peter, James, and John. He had the three who were really close to Him. Who would have additional access where He shared more of His life with. Then he had the 12 disciples that he specifically called to be his covenant community to carry out his purposes on the earth. And then he had the 72, 70 others, 140 others. He had this like other group that kind of surrounded them. And this larger group that encircled it. And it's important here that there is an understanding that there is, we're supposed to have tight people who are walking intimately with us. 
and then a broader group where we can uh, share and work together on God's purposes. And then as they have their tight communities, it becomes this kind of expanding reality. He also sent out his people two by two. When Jesus sent out, we're going to look at Luke 10 here in just a second, but he sent people out two by two. All throughout the Bible, we see uh, Paul's missionary work. He's on a team as he goes out. Like Luke and Barnabas and John Mark and other people show up as there's, there's groups that are going out because we're not meant to do this alone. God, God will oftentimes, and I think intends to send His people in covenant community and together with others into the mission so that we don't have to feel like lone rangers partially because this is image-bearing. God is eternally Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is a community of love that is on mission in the world, and He calls a community and family of love to be on mission in the world. So Luke 10, I wanna, it demonstrates this two-by-two, but it also gives us a really amazing missional strategy that Jesus Himself used. And I want to give this to you as an idea. So after those things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them out two by two his face, uh, before his face into every city and every place where he himself was about to go. And so he sent these people out to prepare these villages, to prepare these cities for an encounter with Jesus. And what did he tell them to do? He said, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So principle one is before we go into missional engagements, Jesus tells us to pray. Prayer is absolutely critical to our life. As Jesus said, I can do nothing apart from what I see the Father doing. Who are we to think that we will have missional effectiveness apart from communion with God? And so prayer is a way to foster that communion, build that intimacy, spend time in relationship with God, and also help bring us into an understanding of what He might have for us. So He tells them to pray for laborers to go out into the harvest. And then in verse 3, He says, Go. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out about like lambs among wolves. Don't take money knapsack, sandals, and greet no one along the road. So he says, go out, but also don't go out in your own power and in your own resources. To take money and staffs and resources, and I'm not saying every mission that we need to go on, you don't take anything with you, but I think the principle that God is establishing here is this idea that we're not to lean on our own strength and trust in our own strength and resources as we go out into mission, but we're to trust in His resources and His strength as He sends us out. But, and not even in our own congeniality, He says, greet no one along the road. So (laughs) He's like, don't trust in your money, don't trust in your congeniality or your great personality. Put your trust in God for the mission. So pray, trust, And then he says, but whatever house you enter, say to this house first, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. This is an interesting passage and it's saying, go, express the peace of God as you go. And there are people in the world who are sensitive to what God is doing. 
people of peace is like the missional language that is used. Look for people of peace. People who God has already prepared, who identifies the peace that you carry and welcomes you in. And then it says, and if a son of peace is there, your peace will return to you. If not, well, if not, it will return to you. And then remain in the same house, eating and drinking things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Don't go from house to house. Whatever city you enter, there they receive you. Each such things as are set before you. So then eat, drink, build relationship, spend time with those people of peace, build the relationship. And I think discern the felt needs of the community because the next imperative is heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And so then it is connecting heaven's resources into the felt needs of the community where you have built a relationship. And as we connect heaven's resources, as we connect the kingdom of God into their situation, is it loneliness? Is it depression? Is it uh, isolation? Right? What is the felt needs of the people with whom we're building relationships? And then bring God's resources to bear. And as you bring God's resources to bear, declare this is the kingdom of God. So here it is. It's pray, go, be welcomed, look for the people of peace, build relationships there, discern needs, connect God's resources into those needs, and then help connect the dots. It's not just that I'm a really great person and can help you feel loved. It's that I am full of the love of Jesus Christ and you're experiencing that love. So this is a cool tip number two, a missional strategy. It's not the only one. There are other missional, effective missional strategies, but this has been particularly important for me for thinking about how to engage people that don't yet know Jesus. Because it's not just about you know, putting notches in our belt for how many times we declare the gospel. We want to bear fruit that lasts. And as people taste and see that the Lord is good, as they experience His goodness and His love and His mercy and His kindness, people are more receptive to hear the rest of the story. And so this even is part of the missional effectiveness we've talked about from the beginning. As we bear God's image, enter in with people, and provide his love and care. It helps, it, we're carrying his image to them and helping them to experience it. It says his kindness leads us to repentance. And what Ben was talking about last night, the idea of like preaching fear or using emotional manipulation, this is so much better. Because this is demonstrating and embodying God's kindness and His love and His resources and His care. And it lets them taste of God's kindness, which is what leads to repentance much more than to taste His wrath and be afraid. Okay, so next up we've got kind of a complex, interesting image. This is another kind of nugget to think about, okay, where does the rubber meet the road? How is my life structured? And what spaces am I inhabiting and able to be effective missionally? So these are called the three circles of mission. So the three, the 12, and the many, we've got the three right here. This is our discipleship core. These are the people who you are walking with most intimately, 
who know your stuff, who you're processing your stuff with, who are helping spur you on in your relationship with Jesus, where there is tight-knit community. There should be shared rhythms of life where you're actually sharing life together and you're sharing a mission. You're talking about and engaging in what God is calling you to. You're helping each other discern what is He speaking to you? How is He leading you? And I think this ministry does a really amazing job of this already because there is so much love and shared life together. But we look at, okay, who's our discipleship core? And then who's maybe the 12? What's the, the larger gathering? And even this weekend, it's these connect groups or small groups that you've been a part of or the way that you've done the gathered and scattered thing over COVID where you have a little bit larger gatherings. And this creates a permeable space. That's why the line is dotted. And it gives you the, a, a space, a kingdom peaceful space to be able to invite people into it. I think for you guys, I've heard, I've heard more salvations around mafia with this group than anything else, which is hilarious. But it provides this dotted line. It provides a permeable space to invite people in in a safe and non-threatening way to be able to taste and see what the essence of your community is about. Uh, it allows people to acclimate to the kingdom life, to see the way that you love each other, to see the way that you care for each other, and to be able to begin to belong as you practice hospitality for those who do not yet know Jesus. Then the third one is this half circle. It's the contextual presence because all of us exist in multiple spaces. We don't just exist in our discipleship core and mafia games. We live other places. We work other places. We have other relationships outside of that reality. And this is a place for us to be present, to be looking for those people of peace, and to really be a guest, receive hospitality. Maybe it's your ultimate Frisbee team. Maybe it is your roommate situation or a club that you're a part of at the university or the group project in your major where you are sort of a guest. You don't own the space. Maybe it's the coffee shop you go to regularly or where the barber shop you go to to get your hair cut or you know, where you hang out if you're regular at a pizza place or whatever. It's where you have a contextual presence. And so our job there is to be present, to be looking for people of peace, to be partnering with God to say, God, what are you doing in this space? How do you want to operate? How do you want to move? What are you doing here? Where's the kingdom <clears throat> already moving in this circumstance? And how can I participate in that? So I want to give you guys a second to think. Do I have a three? Who am I sharing my life with? Is this a need? Do I actually feel isolated? Am I longing for people to actually be in deep discipleship with and to share a mission with and to know me? Is that a need that I have? And if it is, begin to pray about that and ask the Lord. When my wife and I first radically came to faith, uh, it was really outside of uh, a Christian community. And we looked at our lives, we were passionately following Jesus, but we didn't have any close Christian friends at all, not one. And so we began to pray, God, would you bring other Christians around us? Would you help us? And now we have the opposite problem because we're so immersed in the church world. Uh, and we're having to lean intentionally in the opposite direction. But, okay, do I have three? Do I have this close community? And if not, would you begin to pray and ask the Lord for that? And also press in. And like, 
You have an amazing ministry here with so many people of God that are following him and going after him. And if you feel like isolated, have conversations with people on staff here. They'd be happy to help you find that and help you connect in and help you grow. This is such a discipleship-driven ministry. This is what this ministry is about. So I'm sure they'll be willing to help you find that. Then the question is, what are my permeable spaces in life? And who am I inviting in? Okay, maybe there's permeable spaces corporately, like Mafia, but are there other permeable spaces? Is there a gathering of your friends for dinner where you can think about, okay, our small group's getting together for dinner, and maybe can we invite some of these people on the outside in to begin to participate? And so to think strategically. God tells us to be innocent as doves, but wise as serpents. It's okay to think strategically about the relationships and spaces that you have in your life. And third, it is, where am I a guest? Where are you a guest? What spaces do you not own that you inhabit? How, might, how is God moving there? And how can you partner with Him? Maybe there's a particular person in a group project that you just see they're receptive to you in a way that's abnormal. Or maybe there's a certain barista that like, there's a connection with as you buy your coffee. What is God doing? Where am I a guest? How can I partner with what the Lord's doing? So I'm going to give you a minute just to think about that. And guys, will you take a picture of this? Just got word from on high. Uh, ben really wants you guys to dwell on this this week and to think about it. Take this with you. Because this is where the rubber meets the road. This is like, okay, great. We see the mission. We see His purposes. We see how this happens. But like, where does this actually meet flesh and bone reality? And how does all this work out? Because my great prayer for this time is that this weekend would bear fruit that lasts. We don't want it to be an emotional high. We don't want it to be a one-off that you look back on and wish, gosh, I wish we could go back to Winter Retreat 22 because that was such an epic time with God. Hopefully it was good, but I want this to bear fruit in your lives, on your campus, in your relationships for the long term. Not just to be a one-off, but to be something that can continue to bear fruit and affect lives. Okay, now you have a picture. You've thought about it a little bit. You can think about it more. We're going to keep going because uh, as we build these relationships, as we enter in missionally and identify what God is doing, as we uncover people of peace, as we have our discipleship core and we're beginning to bring people in, what are we actually talking about? How do we articulate the gospel? How do we share our stories? And so, First uh, Peter... First Peter, sorry about that. 3.15 says, Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is within you. Guys, I love this because it's saying people should be demanding why you have so much hope. A pastor says the person who has the most hope in a room has the most authority. And as we are people of hope, as we see the big picture of who God is, how good he is, and how he's bringing about his purposes in the world, we should be a people of hope. And people should catch that and inquire and wonder and maybe even demand, why are you so hopeful? The world is shattering around us. Why are you so hopeful? And so here's a couple ways to begin to give an account for the hope 
that we have. I think the first one is personal. I think oftentimes it's easier when you're starting a relationship with someone to share your personal story because that's a shared context. Sometimes we, we want to go straight to the Bible, and it's great. I love the Bible. It's the most important book in my life, and it's brilliant. But if someone yet does not believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, it might miss a little bit. They're running here, you grab over here, and they might miss it. And if God leads you to share Scripture, please do. Like, don't get caught up on that or feel like this is a terrible idea. But I think when someone meets you in relationship here, sometimes it's easier to start where you are and what you've experienced because the, the relational uh, capacity, the relational investment capital, there's the word, the relational capital that you have is going to carry more weight than the biblical capital, because they may not yet see and believe that. So we want to get to God's story. Absolutely, we want to get them to Scripture, but sometimes the first step can be personal because that's where you're relating with the person. And so you can take a picture of this too, and I want you to think about it, because sometimes it can be really hard to share our story succinctly. I can tell you for three hours <clears throat> why I'm following Jesus. I can tell you story after story we could have spent this weekend on my personal history with God. But oftentimes we don't have a weekend retreat to share our personal histories with God. But in a barber chair, over a cup of coffee, at the end of a night of mafia, there can be an opportunity of three minutes. So here's a kind of easy way to kind of frame out your story. What was your life like before following Jesus? Where were you? What were the controlling questions in your life? What was going on? What was your reality? Why did you decide to follow Jesus? Like, what inspired that choice? And what was your life like after following Him? And we'll talk about the response in a minute. So for me... Prior to following Jesus, I grew up in a Christian home. But I knew a lot of things about God and about the Bible, but the controlling question in my life is, is this really real? Is this something I can hang my life on? Is this something that I can trust in? And I was unsure. During my second year of marriage, my uh, parents' marriage blew up. We were driving to go on vacation to spend a weekend, a week with them in northern Michigan. And as we were driving up, I got a call from my sister while we were crossing the Mackinac Bridge. And she said, uh, you need to get here right now. Everyone's crying. Your dad just got a phone call. And it turns out our mom's been having an affair for three years. So I felt this immense gravity, this immense questioning, not sure what in the world I'm going to do. And we drive for about 20 minutes before we get to the condo. And as we get there, my wife turns to me and says, uh, do you want to take five minutes of vacation before we walk into this shitstorm?" And I said, sure. We took our dog. We walked out on the beach. And it dawned on me, maybe we should pray about this. Maybe we should pray about this. And so standing on the beach in Brevort, Michigan, in the Upper Peninsula, I held hands with my wife and I prayed a simple prayer. And I said, God, if you're really there, 
We could really use your help. So we walk up from the beach. My dad walks out of the condo and he says, buddy, do you want to take a walk with me? And I said, sure. And uh, he said, even though I'm at my lowest, I know that God is holding me up. And I said, how do you mean? And he said, the first person I called was Rich Nathan, who was their college ministry leader when they were in college and is a pastor in Ohio now. And Rich answers the phone and said, Bob, I'm so sorry. And my dad said, excuse me? And he said, the Lord gave me a dream last night. I know that Diane has been unfaithful and I've been thinking of how to call you all day, but it looks like I don't have to. In that moment, I was like, what? I felt tingles in my body. And we walk back to the house after continuing our conversation for a few minutes and my mom walks out and I knew what I wanted to say to her and I observed myself almost in third person, walk up to my mom, give her a hug and say, I love you no matter what, you are my mother. Not what was in my heart. I had much choicer words to say. Uh, And then later, I knew, I turned to my parents at one point and I said to them with everything in my being, I knew, I said, one day you are going to thank God for this because he's not going to fix your marriage. He is going to make it anew. Made no sense. My mom didn't want to be married. My dad was too hurt to be married. But over the course of the next year, we saw God work an incredible miracle in my family's life. They're still married today. 16 years later, God has done that work. Coming out of that weekend, I realized that I touched and experienced something that I never had before. And my controlling question in life was, since God is really real, what in the world am I doing with my life? Went from, if God is really real, what in the world am I doing with my life, to since God is really real, what am I doing with my life? And it has started an adventure of life with God that has not stopped to this day. There's my three-minute story. Maybe I went a little long, but I redacted it pretty far, so... Uh, And then from there, as you share your story, how's life different? It's an adventure with God, learning what it means that God is really real. And we can ask for a response. To say, like, (laughs) what do you think about that? Wow, that's crazy. Um, But it's good. And then oftentimes, or do you find yourself in a situation, is there a burning question in you about the nature of God? And that can lead us into sharing God's story. So it's starting with the relational capital, starting with you in your relationship, why you're together, and then leading to being able to share about God's big story. So hopefully you took your picture. You guys can think about this. Think about what your story is like. And maybe thinking about it, you realize that I don't know if I've actually chosen to follow Jesus. And it's a great time to do that. But then what is God's story? What is the story that we're leading him into? And how do we share that without taking a whole weekend retreat and long sessions of talking with slides? I want to give you two quick ways to share God's story. First one is the four-part gospel. God created everything and it was good. Wanted the earth to be filled with his glory and image. In Genesis 3, sin entered in and everything went awry. There's evil, there's pain, there's death, but God is on a mission to restore and redeem all of creation and to make all things new. He loved the world so much that he sent his only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish in the midst of this darkness, but have eternal life. He sent his son to suffer and die for the sins of the world and to be able to forgive people for that sin, restore them to relationship with God and help them participate in the redemption of all things. 
And we get to look forward to new creation when Jesus returns, where death is finally defeated, every tear is wiped away, and things are finally set to right, and the earth is full of the image and glory of God. Okay? Four-part gospel, creation, fall, redemption, new creation. Easy way to frame it out and think about it. You can blow it up and talk more about specific parts depending on their circumstance. So that's one way. Another way is a simple drawing, and it's called the three circles. And so, hey, look at that, the three circles. And so uh, it starts here. And we can start and say, here's God's story. Hey, if you look around today, things are not the way they should be. There are pandemics. There is pollution. There is human trafficking. There is racism. There are people abusing one another and harming each other. Things are not the way they should be. The world is broken. But God did not intend it to be this way. God's original design was good because God is good. He's created the world to be a place full of love and mutuality and care and stewardship and joy and peace and light. What happened? Well, humanity decided to not agree with God and choose sin. So we went from God's perfect design into the brokenness that we're experiencing today. But God loved the world so much that He gave His only Son so that there might be a way out of this peril that we find ourselves in. Jesus is God incarnate, came to earth as a baby, lived a perfect life, taught about what God's reign and rule looks like, what the kingdom of God looks like, and he demonstrated it through miracles and through healing and through ways of showing what God's life is like and what reign under his rulership looks like. He suffered and died on the cross in order to pay for all sin, defeat death. And he rose again. He was not captive to the graves, but he rose again in victory over sin and death. And he's given us a door out of the brokenness. Sometimes we draw a little door right here. But he's given us a door out of the brokenness that we can enter into his kingdom by turning, repenting, turning from the brokenness, renouncing it, and believing that Jesus is the Son of God and the way out of the brokenness. So by turning and believing, repenting and believing, we can enter into life with Jesus where he begins to restore us, where he begins to heal us, where he sanctifies us for the church word and brings us back more and more into alignment with God's design. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of the Lord. And then he sends us missionally back out into the brokenness so that we can be ambassadors of his kingdom, so that we can welcome other people into this story, help them through the door of unending brokenness into the salvific work and beautiful leadership of Jesus so they also can be restored more and more into God's design and head back out into the brokenness. It's an imperfect uh, circle because the restoration and the going happens like he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of the Lord. It's not that we are reserved from being sent back into the brokenness until we're somehow completely sinless and perfect. Um, but I think it's a pretty good design. Anyway, he restores us and sends us three circles. 
succinct, easy way to share the gospel on a cocktail napkin. And from here, we can even ask the question, where do you find yourself on this? Like, where do you land? Do you feel stuck in sin or brokenness? Do you maybe see a door but are not sure how to walk through it? Are you longing for Eden? Are you longing for something different? Maybe you have turned and believed and you're here, but are you stuck just in salvation and you're not receiving the sanctifying work of Jesus? Maybe you're hanging out in restoration and you're just happy and things are really good, but maybe God is sending you. Where might He be sending you back into the brokenness as an ambassador of His kingdom? So, you can take a picture of this too if you want. This is going to be you know, what I was going to do in groups if we had a long time. We don't have a long time. So, here is the admonition to work on your three-minute story, practice sharing God's story, And then talk about the ideas of core community, table gathering, and contextual presence. What are your three? What are your permeable spaces? Where is God calling you to be a person of peace and an agent of his kingdom? So I want to pray for you. And we're going to have the band come up. God, thank you so much for your big story. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your worthwhile mission. Thank you for calling us into it. Lord, I ask that you would bless encounter in these people here. That God, you would bless them to live more and more of the fullness of what you're doing. That you would anoint them and bless them. Anoint them and bless them to be effective participants in your mission. Jesus, you are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. You are so excited about this group engaging those around them because you are eager to share your life and joy and remedy with the world that so desperately needs it. So would you bless them into the work, Lord? Would you allow this group to be a group that bears fruit that lasts? Bless them, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Amen.